Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. You know, each and every day on the I Work For Him show, we try to focus our discussions on topics that will challenge you to change the way you think about your workplace and about workplace ministry and your life in Christ. Today is no different. Yesterday was no different. This whole week is very different. All week long, Martha, we're talking about identity and destiny, and we've got Tom and Pam Wolf in the studio to talk about it. You can find out more about Tom and Pam Wolf at identityanddestiny.com. But I got to just say, for those people that missed yesterday, you're going to have to go back and listen to it. But all week long, we're talking about this amazing workbook that you, Tom, and Pam have written that God led you to write. And as I lead it off, I want to read this piece of scripture. First Peter, second, first Peter two, nine and 10. But you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted identity and destiny. It's amazing. This workbook changed my life. And I'm I'm not saying that it's as good as the scriptures. It's not. But it's a supplement to the scriptures because it has been inspired by the scriptures. Everything about this has got scriptures infiltrated in it, impacted in it, just 
It's like infused with scriptures, and you can tell when you walk through it that the Holy Spirit led you guys to write this program. Tom and Pam Wolf, welcome back to the I Work For Him show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we had a great discussion yesterday, and for those that missed it, I got to just challenge you, go back to yesterday's show and listen to this. This will, be a, this will be a series that will be out there that you need to listen to, because Identity and Destiny... It changed our lives, and it's changed the lives of over 5,000 people who have bought the books already, and you've got 100 licensed facilitators all over the world already going through this and leading other people through it. You know, we want, my personal goal is by 2020 that over 5 million people have gone through Identity and Destiny. I'm saying that on the air. God, it's way too big for Tom and Pam and Jim and Martha to make that impact. But I know it's possible, and it, and it should be. So I'm hoping that it does that, and that the funds that that has, been, has generated from uh, selling copies of Identity and Destiny, that it's gotten into every third world country and into every language that's easy to write, You know that, that it's done that by 2020. Amen. Five Amen. million people. <laughs> All right, so we finished yesterday's discussion after talking about, you know, chapter, your week one was really just those three elements of purpose, identity, destiny, and assignment. Then we talked about week two, which, Tom, you, you shoved a whole bunch of, of uh, evaluator uh Profile evaluators, uh, personality uh, evaluators. We talked about the DISC profile, but for me, I got caught up on the resilience questionnaire and, and just how impactful that was. Why did you put resilience into week two? Um, what well, was a, a matter of DISC looks at your thinking style. Now, it looks at your communication style, your strengths and weaknesses, and the resilience looks at your thinking style. So you're looking at two different areas of your personality and your behavior and they have significant impact on everything so understanding those two things really gives you a foundation and a picture of of some of the the ways that god has wired you and how you're supposed to uh use that now for those people that didn't listen to yesterday's show you know identity and destiny is all about finding out who you are in christ and what you should be doing and 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 who god has spoken into your your life what what your true identity is just like we said yesterday in the show tom is a great example you know gideon was uh, sifting through his wheat in his in his little hidden place what the midianites are you know are, are dictating over the israelites and he's greeted by an angel and after the angel says Fear not, he says, fear not, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. And Gideon is this little scared, small little guy. He's so scared, he's, he's sifting his wheat in like a closet. Yes. <laughs> but what, what about that? I mean, how is God speaking that destiny into Gideon there? Or identity into, into Gideon? Well, that's who God saw him to be. He created him for a purpose. He saw him who he was. Uh, Gideon didn't see it at that point, but uh, when the Lord, the angel of the Lord at that point spoke to him, uh, and you, you know that, you realize that. It's like getting the blessing from your Father in heaven. Here's who you are in my eyes. That has a significant impact. When we take people through identity and destiny, sometimes they stand up and say their identity statement the first time. They break down in tears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it probably just resounds with them, so mm-hmm. they, they relate to it. I think one of the things I just wanted to comment about yesterday that um, when we were talking about resilience, Pam was saying that resilience is an area where you can uh, exercise those muscles and improve your resilience. And I think that's really encouraging for people because when sometimes you go through something like that and you say, man, I'm not a very resilient person, you don't leave it at that. You don't say, well, I guess that's the way it's going to be, but what can I do to 
to improve those things. And and even just realizing that there's measurements for some of them was a real eye-opener for me. And then looking back, and I found myself to be way more resilient than I expected to be. Um, so it didn't beat me up quite as much as it did you, Jim. Well, I, I, mean, I just think it, what I struggled with more was just that emotional regulation, that ability to stay calm under mm-hmm. pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the resilience one that really whacked me. Mm-hmm. And well, I wonder if being a D relates to that a little bit. I don't he, know. He didn't have <laughs> his mother tell him enough. Count to ten. Oh, I'm no, my mom. Something. She's a math She got so though. frustrated. She, she told me to count to a hundred. <laughs> and sometimes that wasn't even enough. Oh, very good. Yeah. No. Absolutely. A uh, yeah. Resilience. That's just it, it. Did it ripped me up, Pam? When you look at resilience, how did it, how did it impact you when you went through this the first time? Um, it was very interesting to be able to break it down into those elements because a lot of times people feel like they're either they are resilient or they're not. But if it's something that can be changed, if you don't really understand where that's coming from or why you're not as resilient as you'd like to be, it's hard to know where to start. Um, when I did the resilience five years ago for the first time, probably maybe seven. I realized that I was really weak in causal analysis. I did not have any idea what causal analysis even was. <laughs> <laughs> this week's a very special week as we talk about identity and destiny. We've got in studio Tom and Pam Wolf talking about the incredible workbook that they have written, that God led them to written, that the Holy Spirit practically moved the pen on the paper to write this manual. It gets so infused with Scripture. It's so life-changing. Go out to identityanddestiny.com to find out more about this. We're talking about it all week this week, identity and destiny. Destiny.com. Tom and Pam Wolf, thank you for staying around and not leaving in the middle of the show. But thanks for being back on the I Work For Him program. You bet. We're so grateful. You know, I want to I do a book highlight as I do each and every day, but we're going to give away a copy each day this week of Identity and Destiny. We don't usually give away books every day of the week, but we're giving away a copy of Identity and Destiny. You know, Martha, you've been running Karis Christian Books and Gifts for almost eight years, but they've been around for how many years? Almost 30. Almost 30 years, and you're going to have a 30th anniversary sometime, when was that? Like In the spring. In the spring. All right. Located in the center of First Baptist Church of Indian Rocks on Elmerton Road in Largo, their 2,400 square foot stores open to the public seven days a week. Check them out online at... ShopCaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S.com. Be the first person to call into our studio line today, 855-265-2929, 855-265-2929, and you will win a copy of Identity and Destiny. And you've got to remember, you have to read this book. Do not wait for the movie. <laughs> All right, we're back and in studio with Tom and Pam Wolf. Martha and I have them in here talking about identity and destiny. All right, we're moving on to week three. And again, listeners, if you're tuning in just now, we're talking about identity and destiny. We started yesterday. We're going tomorrow. Get what you can in the middle of this conversation. I just want you to be intrigued enough to realize that God has a very specific identity for you, a very specific destiny for you, and a very specific assignment for you. And you need to find out about that. That's why we're talking about identity and destiny. It's an eight-week course that took me longer than eight weeks, but it changed the way I look at myself, and every person I've helped take through this, they've never been the same. 
And that's not the work of Jim. It's also not the work of Tom and Pam. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, going into week three, you start hitting on core values. Now, business people are always told, listen, you got to have a mission, you got to have values, mission, vision, and values. Nobody's ever, I had never heard the concept that you had to have personal core values. Why? Personally, Pam, why? Personally. Well, we all do. The question is, do we understand what they are? Right. And where, have they com- and where have they come from? A lot of times our core values are things that we impose on ourselves because of what other people have, have um, caused us to believe that should be our core values. And in the book, we talk about chosen core values versus should core values. What should I value versus what in my spirit, in my heart, has God led me to value most? And then that becomes the guardrails or the um, the parameters by which you view the world around you. That was an element that was really um, pivotal in our conversation because we both love to give and we love to be generous. But for Jim, it is one of his core values. It is part of who he, how he is made up. I know I should, and I have a willing heart, but it's not one of my core values. So that was really good for us to have that discussion to say, okay, we're on the same page with this. However, it's going to be in Jim's makeup to give, and it's going to be in my discernment and in my, you know, just the way God has you know, pricked my heart, but it's not in my core values. So that was hearing the difference between should and, you know, what I really, truly am driven to was very eye-opening. really, really beneficial for a couple to understand Mm -hmm. core values because it really is the filter through which you view the world and your choices. Hmm. And if, if he's seeing it from a core value of giving and you're doing it out of a sense of desire to do that and Mm -hmm. to do that because you're being called to do that, but it's not the same filter for you, you might look at him and say, well, why would you, or what's the deal, or, Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And, And Tom and I, we have one of our five, I think, that are the same. And the rest, we understand now why maybe he looks at the world so differently than I do. And rather than say, what the heck's the matter here? Mm-hmm. I ha- I'm I'm able to to really appreciate mm-hmm. how he values things so differently than I do. So it actually helped you in your marriage. Absolutely. Yes. And when I look at Martha's list and my list, we don't share any. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's very common. So what were your core values when you went through it? My core values, I knew you'd ask. I had, oh, i got to write them down make sure I get <laughs> Wait a minute. If they're yeah. your core no. values, it should be at the very no, center. No, of I you wanted are. to be able to do them when somebody asked with, without freezing up. Yes. <laughs> it's family, creativity, perseverance, integrity, and love. Hmm. Nice. Tom, what about you? What were your core values as, they, as you came up with them? Ah, uh, let's see. Uh, self-discipline. Honesty, attitude, attitude. You get around people with a lousy attitude, I can't stand it, okay? Um, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the last one. What book. happens with the microphone? You got your right book here. right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Martha, what'd you come up with? Trustworthy, encouragement, reliability, leadership, and competent. 
How about you, Jim? Well, you know, this this I really struggled with this exercise because you only gave 80 choices or something like that in the book. And narrowing them down, I ended up with 19. Mm-hmm. And then I kept, I mean, I, I really, <laughs> that's, that's why like his purpose statement is so big. Yeah, yeah. no, but I got him, I got him weeded out and I, and I, and I still ended up with six on this sheet. This, I, I didn't print out the one that was at my finished sheet, but you know, I, um, you know, mine are boldness, character, generosity, transparency and vulnerability mm-hmm. and and those are that describes i mean that is who i am but so though but i went from 19 I'm like i like all 19 i'm gonna write all of them down yeah. <laughs> but but that's and i had six on there i had integrity on there but really character and integrity i wanted it deeper than integrity i wanted it character because i really care yeah. about the character of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. so it, it made it that this exercise was a fantastic exercise it is so really i'm curious beneficial. when people say their core values as they define i don't know if you noticed but i was smiling i was like you know because i resonate with those words and it just makes sense to me and like jim started to have to explain his same reason you know it's like oh this really is who i am so again that whole self-awareness thing is just powerful right right and it's interesting to me because creativity if if somebody had said list your core values before i went through this exercise i would not have listed creativity but as i look back over my lifetime and even the year that we spent writing this book was such a joy to me and i think it's because it fed my Mm. core value of creativity so deeply Mm. yeah i'd like god to develop a a core value of creativity in me because i i don't that's something he left out of my DNA chain. Well, and I always thought creativity was like singing or dancing or doing stuff that I can do none of. I can't paint. I can't. And, but but that's not. It, creativity is so much deeper and so much broader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I can't do any of those things. The only thing I'm really creative at is asking questions. Yeah. That's what I'm really good at. All right. So how often do you find people living, Tom? How often do you find them living in conflict with their identified core values? How often do you see that in people? Well, most people don't know when they're doing that what uh i've had clients who uh realize once they identify their core values why they don't feel that they fit in at work they feel like you know that sore thumb or the square peg it's like the core values of that organization don't match up with theirs and they're unhappy but they don't exactly know why and it's that feeling in your stomach and that's what core values are about if you know your core values and you think them through ahead of time you can make decisions in alignment with them and you don't make a a, a split second decision that you go oh why did i do that well and, and that's something we've uh, we had a, a guest on our show earlier this year that uh, talked about core values from a business standpoint and he calls them his decision filters mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. so in a business his decision filters and that's todd hopkins i can't give take credit for it from office pride but decision filters very very powerful and really if you know what your core values are then it helps you just say okay how does that can how does that go along with my core values? Mm-hmm. You know, it would me sitting in front of a computer all day long programming went against my core values, which is why I was a lousy programmer, even though I spent four years getting a programming degree. You know, it just was one of those things. But selling insurance and selling cars, those things were I loved that. They fit it fit me very well. Even selling cars, yes. You can sell used cars with character. You absolutely can. All right. But what I love best is that in the rest of week three, you talk about spiritual gifts and you break it out into seven categories, which I thought was 
frustrating for me because there's just seven. But when we come back from the break, I really want to talk about spiritual gifts because there's a bazillion different ways to test this, but I love the way you, you tested it, then you retested it, and then you tested it again, then you tested it, and then you brought back and made sure the people that tested it brought consistency in it, and it just, are they getting the same message? But I loved the second part of week three in talking about spiritual gifts was powerful. Really, really powerful, and you did it so many different ways. So when we come back from the break, I want to talk about you know those seven categories: server, mercy, organizer, prophet, exhorter, giver, teacher. And I want to know why from both of you. Why is there only seven? I just want to know. <laughs> this workbook is perhaps the most fantastic, unbelievable, God-driven workbook I've ever been through, and I personally feel. That God is wanting, I work for him to help get, there's 5,000 books been sold. I want it to be 5 million copies of this by 2020 because every Christ follower in the entire world, if not just our nation, in the entire world needs to go through this because this helps every Christ follower find out who they are. Who did God create them to be? What should they be doing? And what's their assignment? Who are you in Christ and what you should be doing? Tom and Pam, when God led you to write this book, did you ever imagine it would have such an impact on people's lives? Never in a million years. In fact, I remember as we were um, in the final stages of uh, the writing, editing, and getting it off to um, Zulon Press, who was a self-publisher that we used um, to, to print the book the first time, we literally were standing in our kitchen looking at each other saying, why, why would God choose us? And, and weeping. I mean, it just is overwhelming to think that God would, would reach down. And, you know, we're entrepreneurs. We've been successful in business. and But, you know, we're that mess that he plucked up out of the, the, the rubble and put our feet on that rock. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for that. And then to have him use us in this amazingly profound way um, is just immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. God is a God of the underdog. Yeah. He specializes in using people that are not at the front of the pack. Exhibit A. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Okay, so week three, we started, we were talking about week three, and we first started talking about the core values, which is a piece where we're not going to repeat it all. You got to listen to the first half of the show, but core values, understanding your personal core values. That's what week three starts off with, but then you end it with spiritual gifts. You only choose seven categories. And by the way, for somebody that really likes to just nail it down very, very specifically, I like fine tooth, I I want all the details. I thought seven categories was kind of narrow. (laughs) This is a man who had 19 core values. That's right. (laughs) Yet, I, I say that just to bait you a little bit, get you a little, you know, uptight. But why? Because I I mean I totally agree, but why? Why only seven categories? Well, uh, there's some churches and scriptures who talk about 20 or more. We actually followed Bill Gothard's program. He gave us permission to use it. Bill Gothard, Basic Youth Con- no, Institute of Basic, Basic Youth Conflicts. I went through that in the 70s and the 80s. Before your book came out, that was the most powerful workbook I'd ever gone through. Bill Gothard, Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. Is Bill still around? 
I don't know. Yeah, he is. Is he yeah, still he is? Yeah. He's yeah. got to be fairly on the aged side yeah, of the I think time. He's, I think he's basically uh, retired. He'll never be retired, technically retired, no. but just mm-hmm. not, not active. He, and he what, the most powerful thing going through that going through that week-long session in Basic Youth Conflicts was mm-hmm. at the end of every session, he starts off and he just starts doing a, a chalk drawing. And you'd have no idea what it's going to be. And at the end, it's always something amazing. They put a black light on it. And yes, black lights were for the 70s, I understand, <laughs> in the 80s. But it was so powerful. He drew the impact of the whole night session, bam, right in your face right. with a chalk drawing. So, Tom, why seven? So, Bill Gothard said seven. Bill Gothard said seven. <laughs> and uh, what we do is we have three different questionnaires. And what we're trying to see is a trend for people. So, they answer each one of these and they see which one comes up. And uh, most people come up with uh, you know two that seem to be consistent. And then we've taken Bill Gothard's workbook, summarized the material, and uh, talks about each one of the seven, eight categories. And uh, uh, what he does is he... Did I miss one? No, it's just... No, there's seven. There's seven, okay. There's seven. Okay. And he Tom's just messing uh, with I'm, me. I'm the detail person here, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom. I apologize. That's I interrupted God, you. Okay. That's you said eight. I'm like, no, no, no. I counted these before I wrote that number on there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it gives you an opportunity to look at the detail on each one of them to really zero in so that if somebody's in a little bit of conflict, uh, there's a section there that says uh, uh, what to watch out for for each one of these uh, spiritual gifts. And most people, when they read that section, can go, oh, yeah, that's me. For instance, I mean, give me an example of things to watch out for. Oh, okay. So let's let's take mine, because one of mine is profit. And profit, people think that profit is, is predicting the future. That That's not really, it's it's speaking. The, what was your dominant? Was it profit? Profit was the dominant okay. one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is speaking mm-hmm. the truth. Mm-hmm. And speaking the truth into people. Mm-hmm. And the what to watch out for. And this described me to a T. I laughed. I, I literally remember laughing a lot. Watch out for making decisions impetuously rather than thinking them through. Well, I always figure I'm right right away. Why do I need to think about it? <laughs> uh, lacking tact in dealing with people. That one maybe I, I almost giggled on the ground. <laughs> lacking tact. See, all those of you people that think I'm just abrasive, no, it's part of my spiritual gift. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when, I, when you look at Jeremiah and you look at Isaiah and you look at the prophets, they, they were just right in people's faces. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, becoming critical of both self and others for not living up to sometimes impossibly high standards. Martha, does that describe me? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, this and is and a here's loud the interesting amen. thing about those seven um, dominant or motivational, uh, Bill Gothard calls it motivational gifts. It does not negate the other gifts that are mentioned in scripture and I think there's like 24 to 30 somewhere there somebody will text in and give us the exact number I'm sure but um, with that what what Bill Gothard did that that really made sense to us was he said all of us are going to come from that motivational area of one of those seven areas of gifting we will manifest and can manifest any of the gifts identified in scripture but we will be doing it from that motivational place of being a prophet like you're not that's just not going to be modified in you you're going to come at it even though you're operating in a gift of teaching or maybe you're in a in a grif, in, in, in operating in a gift of um, 
a word of healing or your whatever God is actually manifesting for the for the for the body of Christ through you, he's he is going to manifest through that motivational or dominant spiritual gift because he's just wired you that way spiritually. And understanding those spiritual gifts, Martha, is so important because we need to know. It, it just helps us understand. Well, it helps explain what our natural uh, leanings are. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really goes back to all of these elements, putting Correct. them all together. And that's, I think, why we get so mm-hmm. excited about it, because it's like all these individual pieces that as they come together, mm-hmm. you see how God really created you to be unique mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. and to fill a role that no one else can fill. Correct. Well, these and then along with uh, the next one, passions, when people look at this all at one place at one time, that's when the major ahas come. And that's what we call the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot that God has designed for you to operate in. Well, and I love the way you end each and every day is what was your big aha for the day? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're always asking that question. But okay, so you segued into week four, which is about passions. What is your passion? And, and why well, talk about passions? Because, you know, I'm passionate about, I, I used to be passionate about NASCAR. Um, I'm definitely, I used to be passionate about Chevy till the government bought it. And then I'm not passionate about Chevy anymore. Um, I, I, I was passionate about the Minnesota Vikings. We won't go into that anymore because I'm certainly not passionate about them anymore. You know, but <laughs> we're giving away all of your. <laughs> <laughs> a little secret. I'm still going to counseling because of yeah. them losing in 1998 to the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> in the NFC Championship. Okay, so, but passions. Why talk about passion? Well, everybody out there writes these articles that says if you find the passions that you have and you build your life around them, then you're going to be happy. And I've seen a lot of people who've built their life around passions and they were miserable because they turned something that was exciting and fun and energizing to them and they turned it into work. And a classic example that we talk about in the book is golf. There's so many people that are passionate about golf, but then they want to work in that industry, and then they're working while everybody else is playing golf. (laughs) And when uh, they go into business, and uh, the mortgage payment depends on the business, and it's golf, then it's work. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So Mark Twain said the best about golf, you know, golf is just a good walk spoiled. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> Sorry, Dad. I know you may be listening today, but yeah. All right. But so the, this pursuit of understanding your passion. So then, if it's not to convince people what they should be, you know, their work, why why uncover the passion part? Um, we believe that uh, uncovering the passion is really finding the light on the dashboard, if you will, and then the exercise that follows, which is where we identify the needs beneath the passion, is really what's important, because there are certain needs that God has put in you that are satisfied by something that exhibits as passion in your life. And so what you have to do is you've got to look below the passion meter, if you will, the thing that has you passionate or excited, and say, what need that's deep within me is being satisfied as a result of what I'm doing? And then that becomes a pointer towards your purpose. It's not the answer, but it's a pointer. So, so you're using these as pointers towards yes. our yes. purpose. Yes. Towards our identity and our destiny. Correct. The passions. Trying to say what what gets you to move. Mm-hmm. And passion can be seen in two different ways, um, in a lot of ways actually, but two categories. One is passion in terms of what do you love? What do you just get jazzed and excited about? The other is what breaks your heart. Mm. What breaks your heart? There is nothing more critical to your walk with Christ than understanding who you are. Who did God create you to be? 
What should you be doing with that? And what is your daily assignment? What, where should you be going? How do you hear the voice of God? And we're going to talk a lot more about that in the next couple of days on really the tough steps, weeks five through eight. But we're in week four right now. And, and Tom and Pam, as you've wrote this book, you got into week four and we start talking about passions, what drives each one of us and trying to identify, but using the passions to really start I don't know, building, as, as Pammy said in the break, building the mosaic of our lives. Mm-hmm. So you ask 12 questions. People in, in, this, in week four, they're answering 12 questions about passions. And, and questions like, if money were no object, what would you do to create meaning? If you only had one year to live, how would you spend your time? What, what are things that you're really good at doing? What did you want to be when you grew up? What will make you feel satisfied and fulfilled? I mean, these are good questions. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, each one of those questions is like, okay, I can write a book on that. <laughs> Where did you come up with these questions? I mean, how did they come to you, Tom? Uh, over the years, collected them. Like I said, when Lord led me to uh, purpose, I think I read 40 books mm-hmm. on the topic and uh, pulled together the best of the best that I could. Uh, one of my favorite questions are, who are three people that you admire and why? Boy, does that tell you a lot about yourself. So who did you write down? Who are the three people that you admire? Ben Franklin is one. Very entrepreneurial, very creative, uh, very driven, people-oriented. I mean, this guy, if you read his autobiography, he was an unbelievable human being. And uh, I love the fact that he, he was out there using every skill he had. He was constantly working. He didn't waste time. He was uh, productive. He was giving. Uh, amazing human being. And that's a person that I would love to be. I would love to be like that. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I persevere to do. I'll never get there, but I try. <laughs> well, you don't know. you got a lot of years ahead of you. Or you might just have another 30 minutes. You never know. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Pam, when you, when you looked at the questions, which one's your favorite? Which one is my favorite? Um. <laughs> well, while you're looking at that, I'll, okay. I'll tell you which one. You know, I, I loved the question. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Oh, I do love that question. I mean, I, well, you can't have it now because I just chose Oh, it. gosh, I think I might have to take that. No, 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 that one's mine. That one's mine. <laughs> Don't fight. Um, I, I just, because, you know, what would I do? You know, I... I and my question is different this year than it would have been last year because last year I really didn't have the perspective that we were going to go I work for him on every day of the week. You know, I just had no idea. But it, I put down, I would fight side by side for marriage no matter where I am because I'm tired of people giving up on marriage. And, and I would do, if I knew I couldn't fail, I would create a worldwide organization fighting for marriage and just helping people understand it. On either side of the aisle, people that are either Christ followers or not, to understand how marriage is what built the fabric of our society all over the world. And in those places where marriage has been degraded, Mm -hmm. society has degraded. Mm -hmm. And even in our own country in the last 60 years, you can directly tie the lack of faith in marriage to the degradation of our society in every corner of every city of every suburb of every community around the globe or in, around our country well and part of the problem with that is lack of purpose hmm. if there's no purpose there's no reason to be committed if there's no committed it's a contract if you don't uphold your end of the contract i'm out of here 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so sad. Mm-hmm. All right, so that one, that one I love because, in, and it really, you know, today, I, I would love to do that, but do it by taking I work for him to challenge Christ followers in a workplace around, not around the globe, that's not really my vision, but if we couldn't fail, we want to do it around the country, don't we, honey? Sure thing. And I think that what you've just described as I've looked over the questions, um, it probably points to the one that I like best. And that is, the Lord says our sorrow breaks his heart. Describe a time when you felt your heart breaking over the sorrows of another. And when you think about marriage and you think about the degradation of family and you think then, therefore, what's happening in our nation, mm-hmm. that all has grown out of that sorrow. Yeah, it's terrible. So, Martha, mm-hmm. what was your favorite mm-hmm. question out of those? Oh, my goodness. That, you know, it's tough because there were they were 12 very... Um, deep questions and I guess well what's interesting maybe not my favorite but what's interesting of course for everybody listening is that um, the thing about not failing mine also had to do with saving marriages mm-hmm. so you know to hear that we're in unity on that mm-hmm. is really encouraging to me and I think that there's a lot to be said for doing this as husband and wife but separately mm-hmm. you know not wanting to be influenced by what your spouse's answers are, but being able to share them and being able to see where God's leading and, us. And to learn so much about each other and um, to, if for I know for Tom and I and what we've seen in so many couples' lives is when you get to know yourself through mm-hmm. the self-discovery that happens here and you then can share that with your spouse and learn what they're learning about themselves, what maybe was... Um, a source of conflict or irritation now becomes a space for for common understanding where now I can appreciate the way God has wired him rather than saying, why can't he be, why isn't he like, (laughs) right, right, which is what we all tend to do. You know, our our good friend Ross Harrop with C12 Tampa Bay, he, 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 when we went through this, he's like, we need to understand the word passion Mm -hmm. because passion isn't, passion describes an emotion that wells up inside of you. When you look at the passion of Christ, he suffered for his passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we often will suffer for our passion. Martha and I joke about no good deed goes unpunished. There are often times where we will, and sometimes we are guilty of caring more about people's marriages than they do. Sometimes we care more about their businesses than they do. Uh, but it was, you know, God uses that that pain to build up in us to who we are. I mean, the, the Tom, when you wrote this subject on, or when you wrote the section on passion, did you ever imagine it would reach people at such deep levels? Well, I didn't think that it would reach them at such deep levels, but I, I really see people uh, having to go deep to answer the questions and to really come up with answers. This is uh, where the the workbook takes a little turn from easy <laughs> yes and no and mm-hmm. fill in the blank uh, kind of pick one or two to where now you have to go inside. Listen to the Holy Spirit. I tell everybody, just read the questions, let the Holy Spirit talk to you, and then write down what he says. Well, it's important for people to understand as they're going through identity and destiny, there's there's five days in each one of the weeks. Yes, I know normal weeks have seven days, but they're, the study has five days a week, and you need somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes each day to do the day's assignment. Sometimes 40 minutes, but it depends on how fast you write or how much you listen. But it was, it's or amazing. How old you are, how much of life you have <laughs> That's to right. revisit in That's your right. head. <laughs> but what's, what's really cool is that you know, we've, we've described now for you weeks one through four. And it, this was the, these were the easy weeks. And as I tell people, they've got to go through this study. I need to warn you that the first four weeks are pretty easy because they're pleasurable. They, they expose a part of you that you, 
You just didn't, you weren't willing to let it be exposed. The next four weeks that we talk about, that we're going to talk about tomorrow and on Thursday, those weeks are tough weeks because it's the application and it's what the enemy absolutely doesn't want you to do. Correct. And so as we come to the end of another I Work For Him program, I got to tell you, stick with us all week long as we study the whole identity and destiny the the study it is so impactful i i recommend it for absolutely everybody so tomorrow yes again tomorrow we're bringing back tom and pam wolf we're going to talk again about identity and destiny because we've still got four more weeks to describe but go out to identity and and order your copy of it or be the first caller tomorrow on the show and you'll get a free copy but tomorrow again we're talking about identity and destiny the i work for him show is all about purposefully equipping vibrantly effective christ followers in the workplace so i ask you Are you a Christ follower? Have you come to a place in your life where you've allowed Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life? Are you tired of trying to do it on your own? Is your sin in your way? Put your sin aside and recognize that your Savior has paid for that and he wants to help you through life the way he designed it in the first place. If you want to know more about becoming a Christ follower, email me, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iworkforhim.com. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately... I work for him.